your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. May the Lord answer that prayer tonight. I uh, am going to stretch us a bit tonight, Six. You've done so well. And uh, this is probably the greatest words, uh, and I don't say that lightly, I've ever had to preach. And it's an honor for me tonight to proclaim Christ's own words, his very words, recorded for us. And so I'm going to ask you, and I'm trusting the grace of God to be with us tonight as we tackle this. I hope that you're going to see that uh, God's word is big and it's mighty. And the impact of it on our lives, it's life-changing. And so I'm going to pick up from where we've been looking at from verse 17 in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus speaking, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Tonight, Sterling, I want to remind you that Jesus is preaching this sermon to a specific kind of person, the person who wants to follow him. And a person who wants to follow him is called a disciple. And friends, I want to remind you as a Christian, we don't follow a program, we follow a person and the most important person in your life is Jesus. I tell you, if you can grasp this now, and if you're willing to make this the passion and pursuit of your life, your life will never be the same again. The, the, the love of the disciple that makes him and her or her follow Jesus into every area of their life brings radical transformation. I cannot understate that this incredible power Produced in us through us following Jesus by the Holy Spirit, it changes you. And it leads church to the most incredible blessing. What I'm going to preach on tonight is about the blessing that is in store for you if you will follow Jesus. And the effect of this love, it is not the effect of your busyness, it's not the effect of your sweat. It is the effect of you responding to the Spirit stirring you to love Jesus. The effect it has on the world around you, it is powerful. You taste different. You're called salt. You look different. You're called light. The world around you looks at you and says, there is something different about this person to the rest of the world. It is the side effect of your love for Jesus. And if tonight, and we go through this, where we don't see any difference in our lives, and we're not sounding any different or looking any different, can I just say to you tonight, it is a side effect of where your love is, not the side effect of where your life is. You have to guard Oh, church, you have to guard your love for Jesus. And so, 
we got to this point where Jesus is describing this abundant life. Let me tell you, it has challenges, oh, but it's blessings far outweigh those that will face up to them for Christ. And Jesus has been describing all of this powerful impact and change without mentioning the one thing that the Jews were taught to keep from the day of their birth, which is the law of Moses. Can I say it is categorical tonight? You do not have to keep the law of Moses in order to follow Jesus, and you don't have to keep the law of Moses to enter into the blessing that the Beatitudes describe. That is how profound Christ is in his coming of fulfilling the law. And Jesus knows what these disciples are thinking. And unless you have thought it, well, I hope you have thus far. I won't labor it. But the question is, these disciples are going, now that you've come, Jesus, what are we supposed to do with this law? And Jesus is realizing, they're starting to think that he is wiping away scripture. He's wiping away what the prophets and, and, and the law of Moses predicted. And he says, no, 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 don't think I've come to abolish the law. I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Everything in scripture points to me. But then the, then the disciples, he knows what they're thinking. He's such a good teacher. He knows, well, if you fulfill the law and you hear now, what do we do with it? Well, Jesus says, Although I'm telling you I'm going to fulfill the law, guys, you have to know I haven't done it yet. And until I fulfill this law, you have to keep every dot and comma. You are under its authority as I am under its authority. I'm going to unpack it a little bit just now. But praise God, Jesus accomplished the law. Oh, man, and he fulfilled it. He achieved diamond status, and he released us who are Christians, those who are in Christ, you released us from this law because we received the same diamond status that Jesus achieved for us. He accomplished it. The law might last till the end of this age, till heaven and earth pass away. Ah, unless it's accomplished. And Jesus did it. But the thing is tonight, we saw and I want to continue this same incredible thought or incredible statement of Jesus. That he says, you know, this kingdom, you don't get into this kingdom of mine by keeping commandments. And even more, amazingly, we saw last night, he says, nor are you kicked out of this kingdom by keeping commandments. And we saw the radical nature of the gospel. Church, I want to encourage you to embrace it with all your heart. You are saved by grace through faith, period. It is not of yourselves, Paul said. It is the gift of God. You get into the kingdom of heaven as a gift. It's not a result of works lest any man should boast. And we saw last, last week how these Israelites all they did was when this angel of death was going to pass over, they sheltered under the blood of the Passover lamb. They took refuge. They put their faith in the blood. And in that second, they were delivered from the kingdom of darkness. They left Egypt. There was not an ounce of performance there. Can I tell you, the law did not exist in that moment. There was no list of things that they had to keep. All they did was believe in the blood of the Passover lamb, and they were delivered. And my friend, the grace of God to you tonight is the gospel. And the gospel is this. You are never saved by your performance, and you're never kept by your performance. You are delivered and kept by the blood of Jesus. 
We sing it, don't we? Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You have to come to the place in your life when you see your capacity is pathetic. It's the most liberating thing. Is that what keeps you in the kingdom is the blood. I tell you, on your worst day, you need the blood of Jesus. On your best day, you need the blood of Jesus because you're just as dangerous in your self-righteousness as, it, as you are in your despair. Do you know that you live by the blood of Jesus, period? It will set you free to enjoy. That's why the point of last week in this, you are saved into the kingdom and secure by the blood of Jesus for a purpose. My friend, you're not on trial of whether you're in or out. You've got to get going. You've got to get going in the purposes of God. And Jesus is sufficient to keep you. Oh, why? Because there's something that you have to attain for his glory. It's called entering the kingdom. Achieving the purposes of the king. And I want to preach tonight on the greatness in God's kingdom. How do we become great in God's kingdom? It is such a mighty invitation that this verse of Jesus is inviting us to. But before I do that, I want to just remind you that I'm hoping after last week, the natural question that, that comes up, and I want to answer it because I know that some of you felt a little bit insecure about it, is the question must come up if you've seen grace. This is the question. If you've seen how radical the grace of God is, you need to ask this question. If I am secure in my position in the kingdom, does it matter how I live? That's the question. Can I do what I like? If you haven't asked that question yet, you have not seen how far God's grace goes on your behalf. And let me tell you, it is a logical question. If you've asked it, I'm praising God because it's what Paul had to answer when he was preaching his gospel, Paul went as far in the grace of God so that he knew the kinds of question that was being asked, which is this. He says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the question that you have to ask. If you've understand the gospel and you've seen the grace of God, the natural question is, if Christ is so sufficient for me, do I have to bring anything to the table? If Christ is so keeping me, do I have to do anything or add anything to what he's done? That is the question. And my friend, if you've asked that, you've understood grace. Because of your position in the kingdom being given to you entirely by the blood of Jesus. But does it matter how we live? Paul will say, yes. Is this gospel of grace to be abused? No. And Jesus will say the same thing. And let me tell you tonight. If you do not take obedience seriously it will badly damage your experience in the kingdom. If anyone, Jesus says categorically, relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, they will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Ah, but whoever does them, whoever is obedient, whoever teaches others to be obedient will be called great in the kingdom. Our obedience matters because it achieves something in the kingdom. Now, I want to remind you that our salvation, what do I mean by that? I'm going to use a bit of more technical terms tonight because it's what Scripture uses. In other words, our position in the kingdom by nature of our new birth, when you become a Christian, 
you are born again and you are put in the kingdom of heaven. That act, that moment of you becoming a Christian and you personally inside out, it is the mere start. It is the qualification, Colossians chapter 3 says, to enter into the fullness of what God has for you in the kingdom. And you remember last, night, last week I, I spoke about Disney World, how my lovely parents went without us and my dad bought a four-day pass. That is what salvation is like. Jesus has bought your position, your access, your ticket into the kingdom. But there's this giant world in front of you that you have to enter in and experience God in and achieve things for him. And that's what Israel happened, right? We said last week that the second the angel of death passed over them, they had to leave Egypt immediately. They had a promised land to lay hold of. They had things to achieve for God. They had to overcome obstacles and opposition. The blood, my friend, the blood was just the start. Do you believe that tonight? Oh, man, don't worry. Don't worry. If you're in the kingdom, if you know that you've come to a place, we've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You've cast yourself upon him. My friend, don't stop there. It's just the beginning. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice, and I'll say it over again, he doesn't say work for it. He doesn't say work to keep it. He says now that you've got it, you've got to get it working in every single area of your life. And notice what he says. Youth, can I be really encouraging to you tonight? He says do it with fear and trembling. Forget about your life partner. Forget about your work. Forget about your degree. The thing that's going to make you great and achieve the purposes God has for you is whether or not you are going to work out what you have been given in Christ into every single area of your life. There are many people on this side of the room that wish they'd started earlier. You get the opportunity now. And Jesus said this, how in Hebrews, sorry, we don't actually know who wrote Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3. How shall we escape, guys, if we neglect such a great salvation? Now that you've got it, make sure that you make it your life's ambition to achieve the purposes for which you were saved for. To get it working in your life. And this is the most beautiful picture in Matthew 21 verse 42. Talking about Jesus. Do you have any builders in the room here? Where's Gareth? Please tell me, there's no, are there no builders here? Anybody done a bit of building before? Yes, Pierre. Quantity surveyor. Awesome. What does it say about Jesus? The stone that the builders rejected has become a cornerstone. Does anybody here know what a cornerstone is? A cornerstone is the stone you lay in order to get building. That's the point. When you receive Jesus, you have to get building. And the cornerstone is you have to align every single area of your life with him. And again, in 1 Corinthians 3.11, no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Why do you lay a foundation? In order to? Can I get a bit loud? Come on, guys. In order to? To build. That's why in Ephesians 2 verse 10, you heard me quote the earlier verses, that we are saved by grace through faith. But Paul says at the end of this glorious section, he says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. That's your new birth when you're born again. To do good works which he prepared long ago for us. Can I tell you tonight, the way you are made is perfectly designed for God's purposes for you. Aljo is a doctor. When she's working at, oh, I can't say the name. I better not say it. Hey, false, I mean, I can't advertise too much. She is designed for what God has for her to do. Do you know that? 
I heard this last two weeks ago. The person said, you should not have to ask what God has for you to do because it's intrinsically hotwired into you as a person. When you're operating in it, people go, that's just so perfect for you. And when you're doing it, you love it. Because you're wired for it and you're safe for it. And this is what Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. We have to lay hold of that which Christ laid hold of us for. Do you know that? God laid hold of you in Jesus. You're in his hand. You're secure. Ah, but now after he's laid hold of you, you lay hold of that for which he's laid hold of you for. Oh, that was quite impressive. And entering into what God has done for us, guys, entering into what God has for us to do is called inheriting the kingdom. Entering the kingdom. That is why Jesus says you have to seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. Oh, man, all these other things that we're so worried about, God will see to you. And this is the point. Unless our righteousness, in other words, our desire to be right with Jesus in every single area of our lives, unless our righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, we will never, we will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you take obedience to Jesus seriously, you will not experience God's royal power operating in your life. You will miss the inheritance God has got for you, that plot of purpose in his kingdom, and your reputation, oh my friend, this is big, your reputation will be damaged. There is something to be gained and there's something to be lost. You'll either be called great or you'll be called least. And our attitude to God's commands determines how far we'll go in the kingdom. Does that interest you tonight? Because let me tell you, it did to Jesus. And to Israel, Israel had to learn their attitude to the obedience of God's commands and the law of Moses determined whether they would be a great nation or a nation in disgrace. Don't you remember that lovely verse? Who remembers it? Joshua chapter 1, be strong and courageous. Who's got a coffee mug with that? The, the chances are quite high. Who of you know that verse? Be strong and courageous, right? I'll tell you, it's probably second to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. I think that's actually fading. I think be strong and courageous might be taking the cake. Can I quickly read to you what God says to Joshua as they are about to enter the promised land, the purposes of God for Israel? Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. There's the promise. There's the purpose. Did their fathers get it? No. What's going to be different about Joshua? Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do. There's the obedience according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it from the, to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. He's not finished. God says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful. You may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Why? For then you will make your way prosperous. You will become great. And then you will have good success. You will achieve God's purposes for your life. And it was obedience to this law that brought success or greatness to Israel. Isn't it awesome? When you read about that story, Joshua is one of my favorite books of the Bible. 
they got to see God's royal power at work as they entered into, believed, obeyed what God called them to. That's it. Remember Jericho? There is this mighty city. I tell you, there was no electric gunpowder. Well, that doesn't make sense. There was no electricity or gunpowder in those days. Those walls were massive. Jericho was known for its size. And you know what God says to his people? You just go into that land and you walk around it for seven days. Oh my goodness. And then you shout. In that second, those walls come tumbling down. They get to see the power of God. And the most exciting thing for that Israelite going into that promised land was knowing, ah, I'm one of the tribes. I'm coming in with God. There's a plot of purpose for me, allotted to me in this land. God's reserved it for me. I'm going after it. That's the greatness of Caleb. He knew at how old was he, Pierre? 80 years old. This man was so motivated because God had says, this land is yours, Caleb. You're going after it. He knew God had reserved a plot of purpose for him, and he was so motivated to do it, and he did it. And they are remembered as great in the kingdom. When I read Joshua, the book of Joshua, I go, God, can't we be like this as a church? Oh, but how different from that first generation, right? Oh, dear. They were saved by the blood of the Lamb. And can I say the revelation for me this last week was this. There was no law. It was before the law. And even when in the law they celebrated Passover, they were celebrating something that happened outside the law. You were never saved by commandments. They did not exist. And even your cleansing, the blood, was outside of the law. And they started so well. Hebrews 12 verse 29 says, they crossed the Red Sea. Can we just paint that picture for a moment? Imagine this. Here is one guy. There's about a million to two million they estimate. And Moses is there like a kilometer in the distance. And you can kind of see this, this toothpick go up in the air. And he smacks the water. And suddenly, there's this glorious parting. And someone says from the front, let's go. And they go, let's go, let's go, let's go. What did he say? Go. And let me tell you, the Red Sea is not a short distance. And let me tell you, there are Egyptians behind him. Maybe that was a motivating factor. Well, this is our only choice, but let's just go. And off they go. Do you know they had to put their faith that God was going to keep that water up the whole way? And amazingly, they do it, and they get commended for it. But, oh, man, they ended disastrously. They frequently disobeyed God. The book of Hebrews says 10 times they tested God in the wilderness. And they died. They died in the barren wilderness, disgraced. This generation that started so well, they died. They did not inherit what God wanted to give them. They did not experience the kingdom purposes for which God appointed them for. And this was true for all the other generations of Israel. When you read your Bible, oh man, after the book of Joshua, it's chaos. Judges arrive. And it says, when that second generation died out, Israel wandered from God and their obedience to the Lord waned. And let me tell you, it is a terrible book to read because you see people oppressing Israel, marauding the land, invading the land. They have to run into caves and hide. Every time there's a harvest or crop coming up, the purposes, the things to enjoy in God's purposes for them in their promised land, there they are coming up and they get stolen, gets taken away by these enemies because of their disobedience to God. Oh, but when they repented and returned to obedience, what happens? God restores them. And it was true for the kings. And eventually, Israel gets exiled from the land. Do you know what that meant for an Israelite? Let me tell you. Who of, you, who of your parents own their own home here? 
Who have, oh, that's a stupid question. Who of you are hoping to inherit your parents' home? And because of their disobedience, they get exiled from that property. And down the tube goes your inheritance. Bye-bye, Bamberg Road. And God brings them back. Let me tell you, that was the grace of God. And if you sin so badly, you feel you'll never get the promises over your life. And God brings them back. And they have to swear allegiance to the commands of God. And this is what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, is merely saying what has been true for the history of Israel throughout its entire epoch, throughout its existence. Therefore, guys, he hasn't fulfilled the law yet. He's saying to his disciples and himself, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments of the law and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that's the first generation of Israel outside of Egypt. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's the second generation of Joshua and all those that followed in his footsteps. Do you know tonight, if Jesus did not obey these words, he would never have been called great. If he never fulfilled the law, my friend, you would never have known about Jesus. And so he says, if I'm under the law's authority, you are, because that is the way God's kingdom purposes are flowing. And unless you and I are obedient to it, we're going to miss it. Ah, but now that the law has been fulfilled, we are not under its authority. Praise God, we are under Christ. And we are not disciples of Moses. I'm telling you again tonight, if anybody comes to you and says, you have to obey the law of Moses, you tell them, I'm sorry, I don't obey Mr. Moses. I obey Jesus. I'm under the authority of Jesus. And this is what it says. The same attitude of obedience that those Jewish people had to have to the law. My friend, as a Christian, you have to have to Jesus. I never saw this until this week. But when Jesus, after his resurrection in Matthew 28, says to his disciples, that great commission, he says, all authority has in heaven and earth has been given to me. When he fulfilled the law on the cross, man, the law was no longer the authority of God's people. Jesus Christ was. When he rose from the dead, he got authority over death. He got authority in the kingdom. And, and man, as disciples, this commission, we are called to do what? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Teaching them what? To obey the law? Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Not the commands of Moses. No, no. But the commands of Jesus who fulfilled an upgraded scripture by his own authority. Do you know how powerful Jesus is? He can point to the Old Testament, the law of Moses, and say, it says this, that you should not murder but I'm telling you on my authority, you don't even get angry. And so, I say to you tonight, just as the Jews' attitude to the law of Moses determined their greatness in the kingdom purposes of God, so our attitude to the words of Jesus determines our greatness in the kingdom. How many of you know that song? Don't build your house on a sandy land. Don't build it to me. Sunday school kids, come on, lift up your hands. Am I so old? Aiden. Oh my goodness, I have really, I've aged. Nikki, I've got to introduce that. It's a classic. Come on, man. 
children's ministry. Here we go. We'll rock the place. But you know what they, where that comes from is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, says the most profound thing. Can I read it to you? He says, everyone, listen to me, guys. If you don't remember anything about this sermon, I want you to just remember this scripture. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Man, in this salvation we receive this rock. We are in this position of Christ, and you have to build. How do you build? You build on the authority of Jesus in your life. You build on his very words. And what you build for Jesus, Jesus is saying, what you build on him in obedience to him, it will remain forever. Forever. Ah, but he's not done yet. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, the testing came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And listen to the words of Jesus, and great was the fall of it. Everything that is done, not done out of obedience to the words of Jesus, will not stand the test. And it will be devastating, and great will be the collapse and loss on that day when it is tested. If we do not take the commands of Jesus seriously, these scriptures upgraded and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, we will be called the greatest fools in the kingdom. Least. And next term, I'm going to give you a teaser, but Jesus goes on to say, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, and he goes on to explain what that righteousness looks like, Christians, tonight, if you have any unrighteous anger in your life, it will block you experiencing and entering into the kingdom. If you don't take sexual purity seriously in marriage and outside of marriage, it will damage your experience in the kingdom. If you don't keep your marriage vows sacred, let me tell you tonight, maybe there is a couple like there was this morning and you are fighting for your marriage, let me tell you, make those vows sacred. Both of you contend for righteousness, because if you give up, and if you give in to unrighteousness in your marriage, it will damage your experience in the kingdom. If you don't, if you're not careful with what you say with your mouth, it will damage your experience in the kingdom. If we are vengeful and operate out of a spirit of retaliation, if we hold into unforgiveness, my friend, the kingdom of heaven will be shut to you. And what you will find is you will die if you don't attend to these things in a spiritual, barren wilderness. Some of us are asking the question tonight, where is Jesus in my life but are playing with sin? You can't have both, my friend. You will not achieve God's purposes. You can only serve one master. That's what Jesus said. If you want to achieve what God has for you to do, you only can serve one. Not the media, not your best friend, not your spouse. You have one master. His name is Jesus. If you don't attend to this, 
you will lose your well done in heaven. Let me tell you, this thing is audible. When Jesus says, you will be called least or be called great, we are going to line up in front of Christ one day and the world is going to know what we did for him or the lack thereof. Don't think you can live undercover as a Christian, my friends. Because what's going to happen on the day when we stand before Jesus is we're going to account to the king what we've done in the kingdom. And that's why in the Gospels, Jesus says some crazy things. He says, whatever is done in the darkness will come to the light. Beware, your sin will find you out. Because ultimately, we are held accountable to the king in the kingdom. And how we live matters. And instead of entering into heaven with glory, let me tell you, you can enter into heaven smelling like smoke. Smoky beef. Ever smelt those chips? That's what I thought of. You'll come in smelling like smoky beef. And all of your life, listen to this, all of your life lived in disobedience to Jesus will be burnt up like hay and stubble, useless, saved as through fire called least and you might say tonight you might say well as long as i get to heaven that's fine what does all this matter i say to you you might say that now you will not say that then when we stand before the king and account for what we've done will be what we've done for the kingdom and why do i preach like this tonight I don't want you guys to feel despondent or terrified. Well, maybe that's not a bad thing sometimes. I'm just kidding. It's tonight, guys. We want you to get a better entrance into heaven. Because we don't want to end this way. We don't want to waste our lives. We want to run in such a way to finish the race marked out for us to run, as Paul said. We want to achieve the crown of righteousness. Notice the wording, that when you align yourself to Jesus, he honors it all. And we have a great opportunity to live for Jesus now. Church, what are you doing for Jesus? Your life matters to the kingdom. And now the warning comes now, and it's called an admonishment, which means an encouraging warning. There is something to be lost. Oh, but let's focus on what can be gained. Eternal glory. And so I end with this verse tonight. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 7 to 12. I read this as a young boy in varsity, and it changed my life. The writer says, For land that has drunk the rain, that often falls in it. It's a picture of Jesus coming to your life with grace over and over again, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing. When God comes to your life and you respond in obedience, you start producing a harvest, a harvest of usefulness, fruitfulness for the kingdom. And God will bless it. Ah, but if it bears thorns and thistles, when God comes to your life over and over and again, and like those Israelites in the wilderness, they harden their hearts, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Notice, it's near to being cursed. You get saved through fire. You're not finally cursed. Oh, but wait. The, what was supposed to come out from your life, the crop, that harvest for which the rain came upon your life for. Oh, dear. If it produces thorns and thistles, it gets burnt. 
But though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved Sterling, we feel sure of better things for you. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. What is this writer saying is, guys, we serve a generous God and the greatest proof is he gave you his only son to die for you. He loves giving good gifts. In actual fact, he loves giving great gifts and he's not unjust. Every ounce of faithfulness and obedience you show to Jesus, he honors. When Nikki prepares for children's ministry, when none of you see, in the early hours of the morning, on the Saturdays, the overtime, Nikki, you're going to get the overtime back, my friend, in glory. Serving the coffee. I can do this in the morning because it doesn't happen in the evening. So hospitality team, don't be insecure. There are people on the team that when they see me stuck here talking to a person, they come and bring me that cup of coffee and say, this is for you. Are you okay? Can I get you anything? Loving you. People do the same for you. You were loved as you walked in here this evening. People got this venue ready for you. This worship team practiced for you. People came to love you. Let me tell you, no matter how you feel, just cold blood serving for Christ, knowing that you're doing what he has for you to do, it will be remembered forever. And when you stand before him, Jesus said it. He said, you gave a cup of cold water. You fed that person. You did this. And they said, when did we do this for you, Jesus? They are so small in our minds. We think we have to preach here on a Sunday night to achieve something for the kingdom. Rubbish. Let me tell you, the person you've been praying for for 20 years, they don't even know about it. You're achieving something for the kingdom. When you get up and you feel like you, oh man, when you're resisting sin, let me tell you, oh man, sin is there on the doorstep every time. When you are resisting sin out of obedience to Jesus, you are getting the applause of heaven. You might not hear it now. You will hear it then. We serve an amazing God who honors the smallest act of faithfulness. That is why in the body, Paul says, you have those that have honor, public platforms. You have those that are covered. You can't see. And they will be compensated on that day. All that work, all that loving the church, all that serving without anybody seeing or knowing, all that loving of the enemies, all that unforgiveness, all of the quiet wrestling in the closet that had to happen in your heart in order to release those that hurt you. Let me tell you, on that day, on that day, the heavens will know your faithfulness to Jesus. But are you interested in it, Sterling? That's the point of tonight. How you live matters in how far you will go in the kingdom. And you might go, well, geez, this is very interesting. Let me tell you, no, no, no. This is the reason you are alive. To live for Jesus. And so we desire each one of you to show, each one, as your elders, each one to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. Don't get lazy. Don't get disheartened. Don't get discouraged. Don't get, get even intimidated by your own weakness or delay. No, no, no. Don't get sluggish. But imitators, be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises.
We want you to get God's well done. We want you to have a glorious entry into heaven. Not smelling like smoky beef, but like Jesus. The fragrance of the one who saved you. And so tonight, Sterling, I ask you, like Joshua did in that second generation, you have to choose. You have to choose whom you're going to follow. You have to do it the sooner the better. Joshua said, you guys, you choose whom you're going to follow. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There is one authority that we are following. It is the God of heaven and who has rescued us through Jesus Christ, his son, who is leading us through the power of the spirit, illuminating, enlightening the word of God. This is how we live. We live for Jesus. One master, one destiny, one moment when we're going to stand before him and either we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servants. Or not. And we want you to get the well done. But you have to choose whom you're going to follow. Let's pray. Lord, tonight you have opened up the kingdom and the invitation is so clear. I want to start tonight. If you are here and you know you're not in the kingdom of heaven, what I mean by that is that you have got no relationship with Jesus. Or even better, you've never come to a place of seeing your need for Jesus. But tonight, you see your need for him. My friend, the kingdom is open to you in Christ. You have to come. And what you do is you cast your life upon the king of kings. You say to Jesus tonight, where you are right now, you say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to rescue me. That's what you say to Jesus. I need you to forgive me and rescue me by your blood. That's where you start. You start with the blood. Say that to Jesus tonight. And then for, for those that are doing that and those that are here tonight that have done that, church, we have one life to live for one king for one eternity. Who are you going to follow? Oh, Jesus, tonight we pray. You would help us to seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. We're not going to get there without obedience. And Lord, we'll trust you for the rest. Stir us tonight. I pray this word would seal us in what makes our decisions in our lives and the life partners that we choose. Does your life partner bring you into the kingdom? If your life partner does not do that, oh, if that's the person you're wanting to marry, be careful. It's what matters the most. And I pray tonight, Lord, you'd seal that in our hearts. In your precious and mighty name. Amen.